Let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. If you're visiting with us, our uh, normal course from uh, the pulpit is to preach straight through uh, books of the Bible. And uh, we have just finished a lengthy series in uh, the book of Philippians. And uh, before we begin another series, I thought it'd be a great opportunity for us to, to get a biblical perspective on what I see as uh, uh, a current issue that uh, we as believers need to always make sure we've got a good grasp on. Uh, in our country, and here we are on the 4th of July, but in our, our uh, country, I see a lot of uh, discouragement uh, about direction of the co- country. That's nothing new. Um, we, we always think this, it's worse now than ever, but uh, it isn't anything new. But, but as we may be feeling some of those things, and that, that comes and goes through the years, um, we as believers need to, uh, to ask how indeed that uh, the face of Christ will be clear for all the world to see. When they look at how believers handle things here in this world, the same things that everyone is facing. And so we're going to look at uh, a a number of scriptures today to, to see if we can be reminded of what is that framework, what is that foundation, and how are we to uh, to be salt and light in a world where we we may not right now be very comfortable. And by the way, discomfort in this world for the believer is not a bad thing. That really is how we ought to be. So uh, we're going to look at Romans 13. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is a God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect 
to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, these, these are sometimes hard things to hear. But I have no doubt whatsoever that they were even harder for those that Paul was speaking to. And so, Lord, we pray that that same Holy Spirit that taught those people that first received this letter that same spirit would speak to our hearts and would teach us and humble us and give us ears to hear you and to tune out what the world around us would try to convince us of that is when it is opposed to you. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Well, way back in uh, the fourth century, Augustine of Hippo uh, wrote the book, The City of God. In that, he contrasted what he called uh, the two cities, uh, the city of God and the city of man. Now, without getting into his teachings, that's not what we are, are here for or the views of that. Uh, today, I... I want us as believers to uh, see what that means uh, to live in these two two cities, two worlds, if you will. I am convinced that the more we can remember that and understand that and live by that, the better citizens we will actually be in both cities. For the Christian, our first loyalty must always and only be to the king of the city of God, to Christ. If any other king demands loyalty over Christ, it must be denied. That's where we have to begin if we're to understand how to live in the two worlds. That's the foundational point. Christ is the ultimate king. So let's look at what the scripture says about our responsibilities as as citizens. And I've called this uh, our our temporary city or the city of man, uh, the the world that, that we live in, the government that we live under. Um, so we first need to understand uh, how its government was established and who's in charge, really, when it comes to uh, the the government that we we live under. Well, before I read again from Romans, which I just read from. I want you to uh, be reminded what Rome was like, what the people who 
we're, we're hearing this uh, uh, would have been thinking about. How would it apply to them? Because here's what their country was like. Basically, everything was okay except Christianity. Everything was on go. You do what you want under Roman authority. There was abortion. There was infanticide. Uh, There was corruption. There was emperor worship. And on and on. And all the things that flow from that. So these are the people that are then hearing these words from the Apostle Paul. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. What? You see how radical that would have sounded? They would have expected just the opposite. Be subject to the governing authorities. And here's why. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Again, radical to hear this. You mean this corrupt government that is over us, where anything goes except what we're trying to do in Christ? You mean that was established by God? He goes on, verse 2. So whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Who was he talking about at that point? Well, Nero was in charge. What? Are are you saying that, that God was okay with Nero being in charge? No, that's not what Paul was saying. He was saying Nero was only in charge because God saw fit to put him there. You see, that's, that's way more. So here, all of a the sudden, there has to be this, okay, well, then God must have a reason because we know a lot about God. He goes on in verse 4. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Verse 6, he speaks about ministers of God. And then you go to the Old Testament. We won't go there, but I'll just read to you from the book of Daniel. There were some godly people under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, that took over Jerusalem. And here's what it says in Daniel 2. He changes times and season. He, God, removes kings and sets up kings. Again, same message. Verse 37, 38 of that chapter. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. God gave it to even this king, Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 4 of Daniel, the sentences by the decree of the watchers, the decision of the word by the holy ones to the end that the uh, living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will 
and sets it over the lowliest of men. That's Old Testament. What about Jesus? Let's look at uh, Jesus' encounter with one who overestimated his authority. In John 19, in the context typically of uh, Holy Week, it's a trial. The Jews said, we, we have a law, and according to that law, uh, he ought to die because he has made the, uh, himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. So here he is before Pilate. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And then Jesus spoke right after he claimed that authority. Here was Jesus' answer. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus is saying, oh, you poor little guy. You think you have authority over me. You you don't have any authority unless the Father gives it to you. Get it? When I looked at that again this week, I, I, I thought, I wish that the, the Senate chaplain, the chaplains in the, in the U.S. Congress and all governments would say that every single day when they open in prayer, uh, we have no authority unless it's been given from above. Now, they wouldn't be chaplains for very long. That's the only problem with that. But, but I'm just saying, I wish. What a great reminder. All who are in government do well to remember that. That's how government was put into place. So we must also understand the role of government. Again, Romans 13, verse 3 that government's to do good uh, and to the good and punish the one who does evil. Uh, rulers, it says, are not a terror to, to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? In other words, uh, do, you, do you not want to be afraid of those in authority? Then do what is good. You'll receive his approval for he's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. He's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Commending for doing good, what in the world does that mean? Well, I heard about a city where uh, the, the police were um, pulling over uh, people and giving them not a ticket, but a commendation for being a good driver. Now, wouldn't that be weird? Because I, I know that whenever I see lights behind me, it's instant guilt. <laughs> Whether I'm doing anything wrong or not, my foot comes off the pedal, I look and, and, and so on. 
and, uh, and, and I'm always relieved when they go by. So, so you get pulled over and then they say, what what I do, officer? How fast was I going? Oh, no, no, no. You, you, I'm just giving you accommodation for being a, a good driver. Well, that, that would be strange, and I don't even think that's, that's what's being called for here. The way I see this in, uh, in our country is that we are commended by receiving blessing from doing good. We have freedoms that we enjoy when we do right. And when we do wrong, we can no longer enjoy those freedoms. Now, when that's the case, government is doing its job according to what it says in Romans 13. So that's the government's role, but we also need to understand our responsibilities. Uh, Let's look once again at at Jesus and how he dealt with uh, a question along these lines. Uh, In Mark chapter 12, some of the Pharisees and the Herodians, they were trying to to trap Jesus, to trick him into saying something that then they could accuse him of that could get him arrested and taken care of. So it says they came to him, verse 14 of Mark 12, and said to him, Teacher, we we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. Um, Wow, what a great commendation. We know you don't care what anyone thinks. And he really didn't, other than his father. For you're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he knew their hearts. He knew this wasn't a sincere question. It wasn't something they were really wondering about. They were trying to catch him. Knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So that's the balance. We are to give Caesar what is his, give God what is his. In, in that case, and, uh, Caesar, according to Jesus, was entitled to taxes. They got to enjoy the Roman roads and, and protection and, and peace that was uh, uh, in the Roman Empire at that time. So how does it work in terms of our responsibilities? Well, again, Romans 13. We are to show proper submission. I carefully chose those words. It's not ultimate submission, but it is proper submission. Uh, Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And then he tells why, for there's no authority except from God. And those who uh, exist have been instituted by God. And then down in verse 7 of Romans 13, he says, Pay to all what is owed to them. 
Same thing Jesus said. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now you might say, well, but I don't agree with where my taxes are going. Has there ever been a time where we have 100% agreed with where our taxes are going? That's not even the question here. They wouldn't have liked where their taxes were going either. But he said, that's a proper thing to do. That's proper submission. And proper submission is also uh, enjoyment of privileges of being a citizen over in Acts chapter 22. Um, The religious people didn't like what Paul was preaching. They got the Romans to arrest Paul and they were about to to flog him. And Paul said, basically, hey, wait, just one minute. Hey, wait. He didn't say that, but basically, before they began to flog him, he said, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, "Uh, what are you about to do for this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, oh yeah, well, I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. The tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. So, here is Paul. He knew who his ultimate king was. It wasn't Nero. It wasn't a Caesar. It wasn't the Roman Empire. He could have just resigned himself to say, okay, well, here's, here's what happens, and, and taken the flogging and said that, you know, that's what's going to happen here. But instead... He claimed the privileges of his citizenship in the city of man, didn't he? God in his providence had seen to it that Paul was a citizen and Paul used that in that case. In our country, there's other other privileges like, like voting. Now, in church history, at various times, there have been those who believed it was wrong to vote or, or otherwise participate in government. They were believing that, that you, you, you don't want to get too tied up in the city of, of man. And so they withdrew even at that point because it would be too much of the world. Now, their motives might have been pure. I'm, I feel like they were. But their method... All it did was remove salt and light from that process when they did not take advantage of that privilege. Another freedom we should enjoy is what we're doing here, the freedom of worship. Now, we, we take that for granted. I, I don't think we take gathering for granted as much 
as many of us once did, do we? When, since we weren't able to for so long. We may not take that for granted, but what about the freedom to gather? We come here every week without fear that someone's going to break in with a machine gun blazing or round up everyone and, and take them to jail or take their names or that there'll be government observers in our services or, the, or that there will be t- people taking down license numbers in the parking lot and tracking what else we do. Now, some of those things may sound far-fetched. Every single one of those is happening in various parts of the world, every one of them, and far worse than that. I've been in other countries where those things have happened. I preached in a church in the Middle East where we basically, under the cover of darkness, it was dark, and we climbed the steps that were also dark up into an apartment building, uh, and we did it in twos so it wouldn't uh, cause anyone to think anything of it, and we went into an apartment, and we had a worship service, and it was a worship service with those who had been converted from Islam, and that was illegal. It is happening throughout the world. There is Christian martyrdom going on daily in many parts of the world. We must know that that danger that people are facing mostly in other parts of the world will take place as long as we live in the city of man. And we should be all the more thankful that God has spared us of it. We don't need to feel guilty that God put us here in this country. We should be thankful that in his providence we live here and we have that freedom. We must not take it for granted. And we should continue to pray that God will see fit to give us that freedom. We don't deserve it but we should be thankful for it. Now, those are some of the privileges, but there are responsibilities. Now, an essential point where where we talk about submission or subjection to government, that does not always mean obedience to the government. We gotta be careful here. But if that's misused, and it has been misused uh, historically, where Christians were in a regime that was doing something uh, very ungodly and they were tamped down by saying, no, you just got to be in submission to the government. Remember, I used the word proper submission. It doesn't always mean obedience. We can be subject to the government without obeying everything they say. There is a time for proper resistance. In Acts chapter 5, here's what it says, verse 27. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priests questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. 
Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Again, back in Daniel, you have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They resisted. They lived in that society. But they could not do, they could not bow the knee to the king. They could not stop doing the things God had told them to do. But when, like Daniel and like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, when they must resist, when we must resist, they were willing to take the consequences. And we must be willing to as well. Now, God saw fit to save them. He may or may not, if we have a turn at that. Another responsibility is prayer. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, And here's where it applies here. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. There are four things mentioned there. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. That's what we ought to do toward those who are in government over us. In that list... It does not say that we are called to make fun of, to make jokes about, to speak disrespectfully of. It says we are to pray. So the next time you are tempted to do any of those, I know nobody here is tempted, but you may be around somebody that is tempted. I encourage you to stop and pray for that one. Pray for those who are there. Well, I don't feel like praying for them. Well, of course not. That's not what it says. You need to feel like praying for them, so then, you know, pray that your feelings will will fit. No, it says pray. And so that's when we step out in faith. And we say, okay, I will do that. That's what I'm commanded to do. And hopefully my feelings will follow and it will correct any actions that are not right. Jesus says, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So if you say, I just can't do that, well, if you're in Christ, you can because he dwells in you. So Christ in you can enable you to do just that. So we need to understand the limitations of our government. And that's where where I believe a number of Christians make a mistake. In our country, we're enjoying freedom to practice our Christianity, to worship, and so on. We tend to put too much trust in the government. Now, I doubt that the Christians under the Roman regime were tempted to do that. 
I doubt that they ever said, well, I just said, yeah, I trust in my emperor. They didn't do that. And I am convinced that's one of the reasons that Paul is adamant about praying for leaders because it reminds us that God is in control and we ought not to trust our leaders. We trust the one that put them there. Get it? See how it works? So let's remember our permanent country. When we were in Philippians, we talked about Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then over in Ephesians, he uses the idea of citizenship again. Ephesians 2.19, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens uh, with saints and members of the household of God. So never fear that the political process is out of control. And by the way, you're not going to get any help for your fears from the TV networks. I don't care which network you watch. They are not going to help you with your fears. In fact, they thrive when people are afraid and stirred up. That's why right before every advertisement, they tell you, oh, there's one more thing we got to tell you to try to get you to come back to that. Last week, we were on vacation, and at Connie's encouragement, I had a cable news uh, free week. And guess what? I didn't miss anything. When I came back, they were talking about the same things they were when I left. But here's, here's the problem. Be careful. Now, I'm not saying you can't listen to it, but be careful how much you do. Don't let that be the background to your life. Don't let that wreck your day. Because listening to that is not good for your soul. It can hurt your peace and peace in your heart. And that's why we have to be reminded that, that God's in control. Christians of all people should have peace that God is sovereign, even in the political elections. I refuse to let elections depress me. I refuse. Because of what I've just shared with you. Because the same one who was on the throne the day before the election is on the throne the day after or however many months after whenever they decide who won. So <laughs> he's on the throne. Our ultimate comfort is Jesus. So let's do some Christmas in July. In Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom 
to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's our encouragement. That's worth celebrating that Christ is still on the throne and he will be forever. Let's pray. Lord, I need that reminder every single day. Thank you for your word that is so clear. Not just by example, but but in its teaching. So Lord, help us. Help us to focus always upon the real king, the king of kings. But to be faithful as long as you have us here in, in the city of man, as long as you have us dwelling here, help us to be faithful only to you, but let the light of Christ shine to those around us as well. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.